Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Douglas Flory about empathy mapping, generating buy-in, successful organizational change, and his journey at LogMeIn. Douglas Flory, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for the chance to be here with you today. Yeah, thank you for joining us and taking time out of your schedule. Uh, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to chat with you and talk about all things change management, um, which is your area of expertise. Uh, and for the listeners, Doug and I have known each other for a little while professionally, and uh, and we have an opportunity to work together as well. And mm-hmm. And I'm excited just to have the opportunity to have this kind of a, a discussion with you and to pick your brain more about change management. For our listeners, uh, I just want to share a brief bio for Doug. Douglas Flory is leading and coaching through times of change and waves of transformation. In his current role as leader of change management at LogMeIn, Douglas has leveraged change management techniques to help their company, culture, and employees transition through COVID-19. He has 15 plus years of experience as a leader, consultant, and coach. And additionally, he's very involved in the Association of Change Management Professionals. Um, again, Doug, a great opportunity to talk with you. Welcome. Thanks. I'm excited to talk with you. This will be fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so as we start off, um, you you had suggested you know several different. Uh, things that we might discuss, and I definitely want to pick your brain about change management and what you found to be successful, um, you know, and things to avoid when going through the change process within an organization. So I want to pick your brain on that. But I also, I was intrigued by um, the concept of empathy mapping mapping that you also mentioned. Um, I think that's that's a really great idea, and and so I want to to learn more about your perspective on that. And I also hope to learn more just about your company, um, LogMeIn, <laughs> uh, learn more about uh, what you're doing there and some of the challenges that you're facing with the COVID situation and, and mm-hmm. h- how the company is positioned to come out of this time of turmoil. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe if you don't mind, can we start there? Can we start with your company and tell, mm-hmm. d- just share a little bit about your, um, your, your, your story as you got into change management, how you landed at LogMeIn, and then go a little bit more into your your organization. So um, about 15, maybe 20 years ago, something like that, I got started in a a financial company that does like 401ks and investments and things like that. And uh, they introduced me to various methodologies that I had never really explored, like project management and Lean Six Sigma, 
And eventually I, I started going through a bunch of different rotations and change management was one of them. And I got pretty good and found kind of, you know, my niche and what I wanted to be when I grew up was a combination of all those things. And over time, that's what I've been focused on or those kinds of methodologies to bring results. And change management has really been my specialty of the last 15 years as I focus on the people side of, of what's changing. And so over the course of my career, I've, done, I've worked for different companies, helping them implement like centers of excellence or perhaps uh, consulting, coaching, those kinds of things. And then just recently, about almost a year ago now, uh, I was looking for something new and different. And I saw this opportunity at a company called Log Me In. And it was right in my wheelhouse. I was really interested. Uh, but I didn't know what LogMeIn was, number one. And number two, they were based out of Boston. I'm in the Utah area. So uh, I applied for it just to start a conversation and see what it was. And then I started exploring as, a, as an applicant normally would. And I learned, oh, yeah, I know LogMeIn. It's just that I don't know. I didn't at the time know the, the name, but I knew their products. I think that's um, one of the things we're focused on this year is trying to understand how our name and our story can be a little bit different because we have products that help people be remote and be successful doing that. So we have things like go to meeting, go to training, go to webinar. We have uh, safe, uh, no, no password tools. And, and we have a lot of other tools that help you with actually being a remote company because it's more than just video conferencing. So I got the job. I've been doing it for about a year. I love it. It's a great place to be. People are wonderful and it's a great experience uh, leading change to them. Can you share a little bit more about um, your role there and some of the types of initiatives that you've undertaken in your first year? Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting because in my experience and even based on research, one of the key questions that often gets asked is where should change management, uh, the role of change management be in an organization? A lot of times you'll see it like in uh, IT or maybe with project management offices, even within HR. Because uh, a lot of people think it's focused and should be delivered by HR. But I've seen that historically be true and accurate. But I think what's really unique about this opportunity is that I report into the chief of staff. And the chief of staff uh, works pretty closely with the C-suite up there and with the CEO of the organization. So it really allows me to influence and understand what's going on and help coach and guide them as well. And then kind of lead the results across the company. Uh, we have 20 offices across the across the globe and about 4,000 employees now as we've grown and grown. And it's been really a, a great experience to be able to have that connection straight into the C-suite and the CEO and the leaders of the organization to help think about those things and their strategy as they move forward. And so some of the things we've recently have been going through is obviously COVID-19 has impacted everyone uh, and in a lot of ways it's been devastating, but in some ways it's been invigorating for businesses and for employees to think about new ways of doing things and how to be more empathetic for, with their employees as they go through these things. Because it's not just about, oh, you got to do your job now. By the way, you got to transition out of the office and go work from home. And oh, by the way, while you work from home, you've got also, you've got new coworkers in, in the form of your children and your spouse or your significant other, whoever it may be. So trying to balance those needs has uh, been a unique opportunity. Um, so that's been one key focus. Another key focus is looking ahead at the future. What is this going to look like 
as we think about the future of logging in and the way we work, how, what's, the, what's the definition of, and the purpose of the office going to be? Uh, are we going to work remotely? And, and how do we understand the positions of that? Whether we put some uh, boundaries around it or we just go to the four corners of the earth. But also doing, looking at things at, uh, like our roadmap and our strategy for the, for the year and the year coming. So it's been a really great opportunity. Um, I've also been able to go in and coach and train and lead people on change management so we embed it better into the culture as a, as a competency. Yeah, that's awesome. Those, those all sound like wonderful initiatives. That's the kind of stuff that would get me excited uh, to get up in the morning <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. uh, work with an organization. Um, and I also like how you focused on your access to the C-suite because I think when we talk about, you know, I just read a report, I'm trying to remember if it was from Harvard Business Review or maybe um, Inc. or something like that. Just last week, I was reading a report that, that cited 75% of change initiatives fail. I've heard other reports say 80%. Anyways, regardless of what the number is, a lot of change initiatives fail. Um, and it seems to me like one of the primary drivers of failure is lack of access to key decision makers and key strategic discussions that happen. And so if you have change that's that's housed down in HR, which could be fine, but if they're if they're like three levels down and they're under the director of HR and they're a change management person yeah. and they're trying to drive initiatives, that's very different than having someone who has direct access and is in all the meetings, having all the discussions um, with the C-suite executives and getting their buy-in and their commitment to what's happening. Um, and when that happens, then, then you can get their support and that can trickle down through the organization. It's a lot harder to have someone who's several rungs down trying to drive these initiatives and generating buy-in all by themselves. Yeah, I, I, I too have heard that quote quite a bit, uh, being in the, you know, highly involved in the, in the domain of change management. And it's true, change can be hard, change uh, may fail, and there's a lot of reasons why. One of the reasons I think that it, it fails is based on research. So an organization by the name of ProSci, they uh, are kind of the world worldwide leader in change management, has a methodology, but they also do research and, and share that research. Uh, so I think, uh, if, I, if I'm recalling correctly, some of the top five research-based reasons why change does fail within organizations. Number one would be like your, your leadership, your sponsor. They're not very active, they're not very engaged. Yeah, yeah. They're not out there coaching and leading, you know, and, and kind of being a cheerleader, championing why we're doing this. A second reason would be lack of engagement of your employees. If you don't get them involved and as part of the solution in the process along the way, and you just wait until you hit enter on the email, uh, that's another reason we're going to have challenges. Another reason is, is lack of a formal change network, which uh, we've started to implement here within LogMeIn as well. And I'm a huge fan of a change network where you can have uh, localized representatives be boots on the ground and tell you how things are going and how people are responding to what's, you know, how things are being communicated and messaged. Um, there's, those, those are three of the common reasons but there's a few others as well but it definitely ties into what you're saying yeah absolutely and and what you're just describing is that there's a, a large re relational aspect to this right yeah. 
um, yeah. and uh, interconnectedness and the development of buy-in is key and essential uh, across all levels, um, whether yeah. that's the, the people that report up to you or the people that you report up to, um, that, that's essential. And a lot of times that gets missed uh, or there's not the, the proper attention to a sustained effort towards um, getting that why out there. Uh, it's not enough mm-hmm. to just say, you know, this is what we're going to do. Get on board. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> some people will be fine with that. But, you know, it's human nature to uh, to ask resist, why. to ask why and to resist change. Yeah. And so you have to you have to share the why and you have to talk about it in strategic terms, um, help help employees throughout the organization who are asked to now learn new processes, new approaches, uh, whatever, um, help them understand how this will help them be more successful, yeah. how it will help them do their jobs better. Right. And how, you know, there might be a learning curve, but ultimately they will be better off. The company will be better off. The customers will be better off. That's that's the why, but you have to communicate that. Yeah. And you got to help bring them along the way. You got to just create the awareness and explain that why. Here's what we're doing. This is the the vision and the future and what it's going to look like. This is the advantages of how we're going to get when we get there. And then you got to equip them with the ability to do those things. Help them understand this is what's going to be different from today versus tomorrow when we implement this new change. Uh, here's what, here are some resources for you to be able to do that. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Uh, and some quick bullet points to describe what that looks like and what it means. And what that allowed us to do was to spread that across the company so that it wasn't just about a certain group using these personas. It was also about employees being able to to relate to others and connect with them as they think about what is it about this person that I need to know that they're going through at home. And it really resonated and it really benefited us because we were able to do a survey, ask some questions and and based upon those working personas, understand what the needs of those different audiences were regardless of their location, their needs, what equipment is it, how are you feeling? How are you adapting to working from home what, what is it you need? And we got some amazing results in terms of 
not only the participation, but the insights we learn from it. So going forward, we could help them and make adjustments and, and modifications to what we were doing and get better and better. So it really helps us to understand what it is they're going through with these different personas and then kind of map them out and understand it and then going forward, continue to leverage it in different ways. So that's, that's how I would describe persona or empathy mapping. Yeah, I love, I love that. And like you said, it, I, I think that's a, a, a good approach and important anytime. Um, as, you know, if we try to have a people-centric organization, that means we have to know and understand our people. We have to understand both their desires, but also their challenges and the, and the things that they're dealing with. And, and that's what it means to build relationships, meaningful relationships, and to, to then be able to support them, right? So that's always important. Yeah. Uh, but in this time of, of COVID pandemic, where anxieties and stresses are high, where uncertainty is high, um, I think it's even more important within organizations and then when you consider the, the kind of socio-political unrest in the country right now, um, the racial tensions, all of these sorts of things, I mean, there's so much reason why organizations should, should be paying close attention to this if they value their people. Um, yes. Because I, I, I get it. I understand that organizations are struggling right now just to try to keep the doors open, to try, you know, their budgets are, are, are getting slashed. Um, they're really struggling with the finances. I get that. Uh, yeah. But this is also our time to demonstrate to our people our commitment to them. And they will remember, once all of this is over, they will remember how we communicated, how transparent we were, how we treated them. Did we show empathy? Did we show compassion yeah. in our approach to them? They'll remember that. And that will then pay dividends for us in, retract, in attracting and retaining good people in the future. That's exactly right. Uh, I'll tell you, I, here's a real, a real example where I learned, and it really helped me with empathy uh, just in the last week. We, as I mentioned before, we, we had a forum for our black employees to be able to speak and share their feelings and their thoughts and their experiences that they've gone through. And it was really a great opportunity to do some deep listening, to understand some of their pain and why they're feeling this way. And man, some of the things that, the, the one thing that I learned was, or the, I guess I never had considered was, um, just the amount of pressure and the, the pain and the stress that they're feeling right now and then having to come into work and kind of feel like they have to almost suppress uh, all of that stuff and put it to the side and now I've got to focus on creating that that project deliverable or you know call that customer and, and make a sale or whatever their job is I can't imagine how hard that would be um, just knowing that they're on the inside, they're, they're torn and crying. And uh, I was just trying to imagine that. And that to me was, it was a pivotal moment and, and empathy for our organization. And our CEO just, he, he responded with amazingly to, to what we learned and what we heard. And it's been, it's been, been very powerful to help all of us learn and grow uh, regardless of our role or our working persona. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Doug, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, we're out of time for the discussion today, but I hope that uh, perhaps I can have you back in the future and we can explore more detailed um, aspects of change management and organizational yeah. development, you know, as, as these are, are obviously key areas of your expertise, 
also uh, areas that I'm, I'm keenly interested in. Um, so I hope you'll, uh, you'll accept the invitation to come on back in the future. Stop and celebrate and, and, and make sure we reinforce it so that we don't go back to our old ways and our old habits that we've established over time. And I've, I've been reading a book lately about atomic habits. And so it's definitely about monitoring your habits and, and how to avoid going back to your natural tendencies. Yeah, and that again, that talking about human nature, that's what we will do if we don't interrupt the old patterns and the old habits. And you have to put in systemic mechanisms to interrupt yep. those things. Otherwise, we yeah. will, most of the time, we will revert back to the Yeah, way. we will. This is, they'll say something like, oh, this is too hard. Or, you know, they just forget about the new thing because it's still new. And they just do what naturally comes to them. Or they don't fully understand it. Or they never thought about a, there's a better way. They just always did, you know, what legends of our fathers, forefathers told us. And it was painted on the wall. And we never stopped to ask why. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's lots of reasons why people regress in that. But if we can understand that and ask the questions, why are we doing this? And, and I think that's one of the greatest values we can provide is explain the why and explain what's in it for me and what's in it for us with them and with who. Yeah. Excellent. And kind of a silly example of this. Um, my, my kids mock me because I'm a horrible <laughs> typer. So I'm like a three finger typer, you know, um, the dinosaur typer. And part of it was just my age, like, my kids all do typing class in school. They, from the time they're in like third or fourth grade, they're already pretty decent typers. I never had anything like that when I was in school. And so I didn't even have access. I didn't write papers on a computer until college. Um, and so I always just did handwritten stuff and would submit things that way. Anyway, so yeah. I, I never really learned how to type until college and I was doing more papers and I realized, I, I knew that there was a proper way um, but my hunt and peck method um, was what I was used to. And for a while, I even forced myself to do, I can't even remember what it was called, but one of those online programs where you can do oh, yeah. typing practice, right? So I, would, I, I, I committed to myself, I'm going to learn how to type properly because I knew I would be able to type faster, uh, I'd be more efficient, I'd get my assignments done faster, my work done uh, better. And the problem was that once, once I would get working on a paper, um, and I would try to force myself to follow the proper approach, the proper pattern that I'd been practicing, it was slower than my hunt and peck, like three finger method. Um, yeah. Now it was slower initially, like if I would have kept at it, if I would have kept practicing, I would have gotten better and better and better and I would have gotten much faster. And then today yes. in my whole career, I would have been able to type, you know, instead of like my my uh, pathetic 40 words a minute with my three fingers, I would be able to write, you know, type 80 words a minute and would be much more efficient. Um, but I, but I didn't. Right. And, and so because of my resistance to that learning curve and just, it was just easier to just go back to the old way, then that's what I did. And it's, it's impacted me. You know, I, things could be worse. That's not like the most tragic um, uh, outcome, you know, but, but it's yeah. a silly example. And, and there are so many things like that within organizations where we can just, we can increase our productivity, our efficiency. We can work better together as teams. If yeah. we'll just do some yeah. simple things that will require a little bit of a learning curve in the short term for long-term payoff, right? 
We, we just need to be committed. So we just need to be committed to it. That's exactly right, and and that's but that's the tr that's where the trick is, right? The commitment, because even though it's something so simple uh, or so easy as you, as you look at it on paper, that that's the trick. It's it's not easy for the individual because you've built in thinking or precon preconceptions or you're just so accustomed to doing it your way and you've proven to yourself that this is what's best for me and this is what works for me. And so that's the, that's the trick, is trying to figure out how to get them to, to try your vegetables. Mom says it's good for you. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about empathy mapping. Um, yeah. Such an interesting concept and I think very important for, for organizations and for employees. So can you describe a little bit about what empathy mapping is, what you mean by that, and how you've utilized that in your career? Yeah, so I think now more than ever, empathy is really important as you think about this from a business perspective or, or even as you think about uh, even cultural aspects. Just here in the last few weeks here in the States, you know, there's a lot of movement within uh, the with regards to racism and the recent events uh, in Minnesota. So we've here at Logging In, we've had different um, events internally where we could allow our, our black employees to speak and to uh, give them a chance to share and so we can listen and learn from those. So those kinds of things have been really at the forefront to understand and display and, and exercise our empathy muscle. And as you go think about COVID-19 and the changes as we transition from work, we wanted to really understand what is it that they're going through. And we wanted to not only understand it, but we wanted to be able to support them and communicate things that we could do for them and figure out what that is instead of just taking shots in the dark and stabbing at it. So empathy mapping really allows us to understand a couple different things. The first thing we wanted to do was look at our, our workforce across the board and say, are there common commonalities with personas? And we found that there were. We found five or six different personas within our organization. So things like um, working with young children, working with school age children, working while caring for, uh, for others, things like this. And so we, we were able to uh, build these personas, put in, put an icon or an image around it, and then kind of, I would love to anytime. It's a privilege to, to be here with you. And again, thank you for your time. And if I can do anything to help, let me know. Great. And before we close, uh, can you just share quickly with, with the listeners where, how they can get in contact with you? I'll, I'll share some things in the show notes, but uh, where can they go? Yeah. So uh, via email, you can contact me at douglas.flory, F-L-O-R-Y, at gmail.com. Or likewise, you can just uh, search for me on LinkedIn. I'm on there and I'm pretty active and I will respond pretty quickly as well through there. And I'd love to connect with anybody who wants to talk about it or maybe you're seeking answers or guidance or something like that and different ways to help. Awesome. Well, thank you, Doug. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I hope you have a wonderful week. You too, Jonathan. Take care. Bye-bye. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. 
Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.